C.S. Lewis said that in ancient times, God judged man. Of course, he said man. But now, you know, we're judging God. God's in the dock. And, and we're judging God. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm Kelly Morrissey, subbing for Helena Martin this week. This episode, we have Jacqueline Weintraub, Associate Professor of Hebrew Bible, and Christian Wyman, Professor of the Practice of Religion and Literature. They're discussing Psalm 23, which is appointed for the fourth Sunday of Easter in year A. Here's the text. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. So Psalm 23 is a really well-known poem. Some people would want to divide it into four parts that are sort of guided by different images of God. God is the shepherd. God is the guide or the teacher. God is the healer. And then God is the host. But I think an interesting reading is to try to see how God as the shepherd actually works for the entire poem. Why Why is that? I mean, why, why, how does that help? Well, because I think it sets the tone for the, the rest of the messages that in the poem that give you, a, I think, a richer reading. So in the beginning, right, you have the most explicit image of God as a shepherd, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. When the flock resets during the heat of the afternoon, they're getting full on grass, right? Then they're led to water to be restored from the afternoon heat. So God as a shepherd is leading the body to its enjoyment in the natural environment. And I think that's like the the sort of guiding image of the poem, right? That, you know, God is what allows the body to find its enjoyment in the in its environment. And then all this other stuff happens. Then there's like stuff that's, you know, walking through the darkest valley or it's like you're thinking about a flock going through a, a steep ravine, kind of dangerous. And, you know, let's say one of the one of the animals, you know, starts going off the path, right? Uh, maybe the shepherd will, you know, strike it with their rod. I'm not saying that I agree with this, but I, I think the, the image actually does work throughout course correcting, right? Which is this idea of teaching is about not one that I would use in my own teaching, but this idea of right righteousness is actually about like a straight path and God is this model of faithfulness, right? That righteousness is about the straightforward result of an action, right? There that a result that corresponding, that corresponds really fittingly to an action. So that if there's discipline or an experience of trouble, it's understood as God's discipline, the rod and staff. And then God's also a healer, right? Which is, I think something's sort of terrible about this is the idea that God's causing all this pain in order to course correct and then God is also magically a healer. Right. <laughs> right? He's like, oh, and God's also curing you. 
right? Or protecting you while at the same time, you know, causing you troubles. But, you know, also sort of the shepherd metaphor to continue it, instead of sort of preparing, setting a table, right? Like a table on four legs, more like arranging a meal, right? Or creating the conditions for the safe enjoyment of the body to remove dangers. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about animals, like to remove poisonous plants, thorny bushes, to maintain their physical body. You know, in this culture, oil has this medicinal function, right? So to anoint with oil in a yeah. certain medicinal sense. Then, right, as the animals get older, you'll have to probably invite it into your house. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It gets reversed sometimes. And it's funny how much so many of these things get reversed. C.S. Lewis said that in ancient times, God judged man. Of course, he said man. But now, you know, we're judging God. God's in the dock. And, and we're judging God. But I, I think of one, I think especially of that end of, there's a quote by Eddie Felizum, who I'm sure you know her, but just for people who might not, she was a Jew in Amsterdam just before World, World War II began. She began having these inclinations to pray and, and kind of visitations, spiritual visitations, although she had no background uh, religion, really. She was a secular, raised a secular Jew, and she kept these notebooks during the time, and, and there's a lot to say about that, but what struck strikes me when I read that last verse in, in Psalm 23 is that Eddie Hillism once said, you, God, cannot be God unless we create a dwelling place for you in our hearts, so that there's a there is a kind of reciprocity necessary in order for God to be God. And that's a different notion, I think. I think it is. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I wonder if part of the mistake we make in thinking of a verse like this and, and being troubled by the different things that God does, or in Job, say, where God causes things in order to reverse them, <clears throat> is in thinking about God as a, this object in the same way that we are a noun, instead of thinking of God as being inherent in all of these different actions and being 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 itself, you know, a verb, closer to a verb. And, and so it becomes confusing. That's where the confusion sets in. I shall dwell in, well, it's sort of like, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. But you're right. So, okay. So if we were to stop thinking about God for a second and think about the relationship between parents and children, that when you're young, your parents take care of you. They clothe you and feed you and they keep you safe and they invite you into their home. I mean, they'll invite you, but you live in their home. Right. But presumably when you get old enough, right, your parents need to live in your home or they need to be cared by, for by you. It's like how aging turns you into, you know, it reverses the roles. Right. And I do think a little bit, uh, this is a little bit like that. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Well, like usually the, the Lord is dwelling in, in the house that you invite him into. Hey, you build a you build a place for you know God to manifest himself. In the in the translation I have, uh, which is the King James Version, that has a suggestion of eternity. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's always been read that way. I, I wonder. Is is that just wrong? I mean, is that is I don't that think it's wrong, but um I'll tell you what the Hebrew actually says. The Hebrew says the length of days. And length of days, the way I read length of days in the context of, particularly in the context of wisdom poetry, is that length of days has to do with, there's a way that you can take this as the eternal life, 
But I think this is actually about aging. It's about length of days, even in old age, when one's body begins to fail, that one can sort of continue a spiritual, meaningful life, even though one is not able to with one's body, right? So I think a better way to think about this is, so in, in the cultural values that lie behind a lot of these texts, death is not an event. Death is a process. So one begins to die long before one's actual day of death. And then one continues to live long after one's death too through the physical location of one's safely interred body, the, you know, the way in which um, family members will visit the interred body, the reputation of one's name and deeds, and then one's progeny. And also sort of like just to be very material here, like about the wetness of their bones, right? How, how close they are to the time in which they were in the space of the living above the ground. So I think one can read the Yamim, you know, the, the length of days as like for my whole life, including those times when I'm no longer able to, you know, walk around and do stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never, never even read it that way or known it that was a reading. It's really interesting. Let me, let me read you this one poem, Jackie, by Denise Levertov, who was actually my teacher once, uh, years and years ago. I was, I was in the last class she ever taught. And it's called A Cure of Souls. And what you say about the shepherd being uh, sustained, the image of the shepherd being sustained all the way through, is very much what this poem is about. And it's, it's clear, it's obviously related to Psalm 23. It's called A Cure of Souls in the Anglican office. The Cure of Souls, I think the Care of Souls, something the priest does. Uh, but the Cure of Souls makes it sound like a, you know, a crash of rhinos or something. One of those, you know, those weird, weird things. Parliament of Owls. The pastor of grief and dreams guides his flock towards the next field with all his care. He has heard the bell tolling, but the sheep are hungry and need the grass today and every day. Beautiful, his patience, his long shadow, the rippling sound of the flocks moving along the valley. It's a very, very quiet poem. You wonder how you can freshen something that has become so familiar. And Psalm 23 is so familiar that it's easy to tune out when you hear it. And one thing that poetry is good for is, is really awakening uh, the strangeness of these passages. And, and in this, you've got the bell tolling, you've got the long shadow, but the long shadow here, the, it clearly re- refers to the valley of the shadow of death, but the long shadow is actually the, the pastor's shadow in this. So those things get merged. The, you mean the, like, the protective, the shadow of the, of the shepherd is how, like, their protection can reach, right? How far their protection reaches, right? Right, but I think it can't help but recall the valley of the shadow in Psalm 23. I mean, because this is about, you know, guiding a flock. And, and so I think she's, she's definitely, she's doing something the original is not. Unless you think of God in the way that I was suggesting we think of God as being inherent in all those different aspects of existence. But I love the way that in, in uh, Levertov's poem, and this is true of the Psalm 23, too, as well, is that it, it feels at once tactile and ghosted. It, it, it feels utterly real and, and then sort of ghosted by an, another existence. 
spiritual existence if you want, or but it, it, it has an uncanny feel because of that. Yeah, I mean, I think what what's uncanny about this is that we can actually understand what it's like to be an animal in a flock. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Really, like we know what it's like. I mean, how many times do we feel like we're just um, slaves to the body, to, you know, to just like the functions of our body? And we're all trying to like squeeze into a subway car or something. Right. And, and singular, sort of absolutely singular and autonomous. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Weintraub and Wyman, for your insight on Psalm 23. The transcript of this episode and lots more Bible study resources are available at YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by Creator and Managing Editor, Joel Baden, Production Manager, Kelly Morrissey, Associate Producer, Aidan Stoddard, and Host and Executive Producer, Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.